0: Hello and welcome to the Hockey Assist of Basketball Podcast. Here, we have conversations that give basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here with me, as always, is my co-host, Riley Gaucher.
1: What up, Mr. Cope? How you doing?
0: You know, it's an, another week in the life of an American in 2020. I know that it's officially 2021 now, but after the events of last week and the chaos of the sporting world, I feel like the energy of 2020 is carrying over, at least into the start of 2021.
1: No, for sure. I, I thought that maybe we might get uh, a new brand new start, uh, a fresh turn of the page, as you will. And it, as you were so reminded me, we're not, we're not out of the woods yet, and it's going to be a while. Longer that the 2020s energy still hangs on, so things are looking up maybe. Uh, but it's been a been a rough week for sure.
0: Yeah, and I know you and I are are both starting our own new semesters this past week. Myself as a teacher of middle school students, yourself as an architecture master's student. Uh, not,
1: so not quite. I can't misrepresent myself. Still, just finishing undergrad, but you know.
0: I thought I thought with your with the architecture program at Cal Poly, you get the masters yeah, and the undergrad. No, was that a lie I've been told? Yeah, that's
1: a lie. Um, I I'll get a bachelor's of architecture, which is different from the bachelor's of arts and bachelor of science. It's a professional degree, um, so it counts for more than a accredited degree from a four year school. Um, but it is still just an undergrad, and if I was to go on to grad school, that would be where I would attain a master's.
0: Got it. For all the listeners out there who don't know, both Riley and I met while attending university at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. That's actually where we met Jake as well, our wonderful guest slash suffering Knicks fan from last week. So beautiful school, beautiful campus. Make sure to stop by and say hello whenever you're around San Luis Obispo. But, Riley, we've got a lot to talk about today. So a much. Lot of A lot of what's happening in the basketball world today is fun and exciting, but a lot of what is dominating the radar, the news cycle today, are the same problems that are being faced all across the United States in worlds beyond just sports. But before we get there, we are going to... Uh, going to slightly unveil and rebrand a new segment that we were beginning last week basically to start off the show before we get into the meat before we get into the good stuff the reason why we're here having a conversation that deeper perspective we want to talk about the some of the things that we like and things that we don't like going on in the NBA right now. So for some of you, that may sound very familiar.
1: Yes, uh, for those of you who are aware and those of you who aren't, um, that's a direct ripoff of my favorite basketball writer and, and someone both Nolan and I look up to, I think, uh, quite a lot, which is uh, Zach Lowe, the senior writer for ESPN. Um, I've learned a ton from his perspective, and I... I have to be careful that I'm not strictly parroting everything that he thinks about basketball because uh, he's someone who I think brings a lot of balance and, and appreciation for the little things and also, you know, uh, really, really good perspective. Um, and so we're going to attempt to steal his signature column, which is 10 things that he likes and doesn't like about the NBA and do our own little version as a, as a tribute, as a little bit of homage um, to him and, and what he brings to the NBA world.
0: Yeah. It's a column that if you're like me and you don't wanna to pay tons of money to ESPN, the Zach of Low columns are now behind a paywall, which is devastating. A tragedy. So a tragedy. we're gonna be moving forward with calling this section things we like and things we don't like. However, we are calling on you, the audience, to suggest new names for this section because Riley and I tried And failed to come up with anything catchy enough that it represented what we were going to talk about. So, without further ado, let's get into the things we like and things we don't like. To start things off, something that I really like about the beginning of this season has been the Celtics' depth and development of some of their non-marquee guys. We know that Jason Tatum is an all-star and budding superstar. We know that Jalen Brown is a budding superstar and should absolutely be in the all-star conversation for this year, maybe even the most improved player conversation. We know that Marcus Smart is an all-defensive talent, but those three guys aren't enough to get the Celtics victories. And what I've enjoyed seeing throughout the beginning of this season has been the development of young big man Robert Williams aka Time Lord and
1: the best nickname, the best nickname in the NBA
0: hands down. And so he's come in and he's provided big minutes while Stevens is still experimenting with Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice starting lineups. I think this big rotation is actually a little deeper and a little bit more crowded than we've had before. And something that is a big critique of Danny Ainge and the Celtics front office lately has been their inability to hit on draft picks. But I think that may have changed this year after the addition of Peyton Pritchard, aka P. Rabbit, nickname from the seminal Eminem movie 8 Mile. Not only did he get a, a high IQ game winner put back the other night, but He's hitting threes at a solid rate and providing really important Kemba Walker impersonation minutes to get another ball handler in there to help run the second un- unit and spot up and get make shots from the outside. So I've been impressed with uh, guys like that uh, over on the Celtics. They've been really fun to watch. If you haven't tuned in uh, when P. Rabbit gets in the game, please do because he is... One of those rookies who comes in with an immediate high basketball IQ. I have,
1: I have not had the chance to watch him, but I hear really, really good things. And it's exciting for the Celtics that their depth is, is uh, so reliable at this point. Um, the next thing that you wanted to talk about, Nolan, was the Clippers' defense. What did you, what did you like or not like about that?
0: Yeah, I want to I want to hear your take on this, Riley, because the Clippers are currently in 3rd place in the West, considered one of the few teams to be serious title contenders to take the Lakers off their throne, and their two star players are two of the best defensive players in the league, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But the defense has been lacking this year, Riley. I was uh reading an article on The Athletic earlier today, I believe by Zach Harper, who was going through the power rankings of the league so far. And while he still believes the uh, Clippers to be one of those contenders, while he still believes them to be one of those teams that actually has a chance of competing for a title this year. We both had them as contenders on our previous podcast. Uh, They're only 1.1 points per 100 possessions better than the Washington Wizards right now, which makes them a bottom five defense in the league. So despite being 7-4, despite getting uh, some wins over some... Teams with playoff aspirations like the Warriors and the Lakers so far this year, the defense worries me. What do you think?
1: Sure, I actually uh, got to watch this firsthand when the Warriors played the Clippers twice this past week, and uh, I think the first interesting thing to note is that uh, Nicholas Batum has actually been their you know their lead uh, defender on like opposing ball handlers and opposing stars, which. I, I've always liked Batum, even though he, you know, had a really down couple of years at the end of his tenure in Charlotte. Um, and it's cool that he's been able to find a role, and that's like giving Kawhi and PG a chance to, to rest um, because they're carrying more of the offensive load. But I think it is an interesting thing to see if that continues and if they get into the playoff. You know, when they decide to to put an all world defender like Kawhi or like Paul George onto some of these opposing. Um, Defenses. And, and the one thing that I took away from their games with the Warriors is that they have a lot of really talented defenders. Um, and that, that allowed them in that first game to just totally shut down Steph Curry. And even in the second game, they were playing, um, really aggressively, you know, to, to double him right. and whatnot. And I think they have the talent to, to make those schemes work, but I don't think there's the cohesion yet to lead to success. Um, and even with Steph out of the game, that's when the Warriors made a massive 20 point comeback. Um, in the, in the second of those two baseball series sort of matchups. Um, and that was, that was when I was like, okay, you know, they might have a lot of talent, but they're not executing a high level right now. And it's, it's, it's certainly, like you said, worrying for their, their long-term outlook. So we'll just need to keep an eye on that and see if with a little bit greater familiarity, you know, with Abaka being adjusted into that system and, and like Zubat's being a great defender in his own right if all of those pieces can coalesce. Because right now, you're right, it's, it's not looking great. They should not be getting absolutely flame-thrown by uh, the Warriors bench.
0: Yeah, and one thing I have appreciated about Ty Lu, especially compared to Doc Rivers last year, is his willingness to tinker with lineups. You know, get Batum out there w- spending a lot of time with Kawhi and Paul George on the court, but also not being married to specific rotations, mixing and matching guys in. So I think there's definitely room to improve Someone who has been showing lo- uh, uh, hints of lockdown defense this year, and I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say, is Andrew Wiggins.
1: Yeah. So this was uh, one of my entries on the list, and I, I have to do a couple things. I have to first say that uh, a little bit of mea culpa, because when he was traded to the Warriors, I threw a fit. I, I was very upset. You know, the, the reputation... For Wiggins had been about as low as it gets in the NBA, um, and so I was I was just frustrated with the the decision to bring him in, um, and so I, I have to admit that I think I'm going to be proven wrong in that. But the other disclaimer that I have to give before you know complimenting him is that he's as as our friend uh, shout out Nick Lanphe will uh, tell you you know he's shown promises and good starts to the season stretches uh, before. Uh, so there's no guarantee that this stuff is going to stick, but what I have seen from him seems entirely sustainable. You know, he's been playing maybe not sensational defense, but just more than solid, you know, approaching lockdown defense, um, averaging, uh, over a block a game, which is to me, a sign that you know he's being engaged. He's starting to figure out how they want him to play off ball defense. Um, and he, he did some great jobs on Pascal Siakam, uh, in the most recent Warriors game on the final possession. And he's just, he's been hitting clutch shots. He's not been trying to do too much. Um, He's he's probably shooting unsustainably high from three-point range right now, um, over 40%. And so I do expect that to trend down and towards his career, 33% average. But his game just seems very polished. He seems very sure of himself. He talked about being happy um, for the first time in his NBA career, which I, I thought was Either a subtle shout, shot at the the Timberwolves or just, you know, something that I'm happy for him if, if that's truly how he feels and he's, he's figured out and found a home. So I'm excited about his potential to to just be very, very steady, be the, the score that the Warriors did this season without Clay Thompson in the lineup. And I, uh, my, my mindset about him has changed. I, I have to admit I was wrong. It seems like he's giving a really great effort and he's playing within himself and it's producing fantastic results.
0: Yeah, I'm also really happy for the guy to be happy playing basketball, to be playing this game. And while his ceiling is definitely far from the potential MVP that many people thought he was heading into the draft, he doesn't need to be that person on the Warriors. He needs to be Andre Iguodala, right? And where he lacks in the cerebral capacity that Iguodala had, he makes up for it in athleticism. Now, Riley, I want to read you a scouting report.
1: Oh, uh -oh.
0: uh-oh. A pre-draft scouting report. Hit me with it. There's a few good things, a few bad things here. Off the charts, run-jump athleticism. Lateral quickness and length also gives him great potential as a perimeter defender, along with versatility to guard both wing positions efficiently, plays with a quiet intensity and while some question his lack of emotion also never gets too down. The biggest issue is whether or not he has the mental makeup to maximize his immense physical gifts. While some scouts are extremely high on him, there are just as many that question his focus and passion for the game. Now, This is a pre-draft scouting report of Andrew Wiggins. But you would be excused if you heard that scouting report and immediately brought to mind the guy that the T-Wolves replaced Wiggins with, Anthony Edwards, the number one pick in this year's draft. And he is entering this conversation as one of the things that I don't like after these first few weeks of the season, he has shown some scoring flashes he's scorned he has showed the ability to dunk the ball over some pro proficient prolific even defenders like Rudy gobert. but his defensive awareness has been totally lacking. He's made some questionable plays most recently uh with a baffling pass in the last few seconds of overtime just uh, last night. And I think you and I both have uh, similar feelings on Anthony Edwards. So far, what he's seen has been good for a rookie, but I don't know if it is going to translate to future success. And I'm ready to put the label on Anthony Edwards as Andrew Wiggins 2.0. Maybe yeah. not, maybe not giving him the full indictment yet. We should probably wait 2 or 3 years for that. But I see all the pieces coming together that uh could lead to a situation like the Andrew Wiggins in Minnesota tenure. What what do you feel about and the the risks or potential rewards of sure. Anthony Edwards as a number 1 pick and NBA prospect?
1: Yeah. So one of my most strongly held beliefs about basketball, um, is that passion for the game and passion for working hard and, um, just passion to, to get better makes up for a whole hell of a lot. You know, if you take guys like Pascal Siakam or, uh, for example, on the Warriors, uh, Steph's brother-in-law, Damien Lee, these guys, you know, who weren't highly, Recruited, maybe in this, the latter's case, even going undrafted, you know, but have worked really, really, really hard to expand their game, to improve their games, to, to become more reliable and have made it to, um, even higher, you know, levels than people originally expected. Um, I think that in Anthony Edwards' case, I was really concerned when he made the quote about, you know, that he'd much rather be playing football, um, or, the fact that he just w- did not have uh, a huge drive. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting that he admitted that, first of all, which to me, like, even if that's true, it's probably not a great idea. Um, and maybe that's just, you know, Ricky not understanding the, the MEAB landscape. But I, I certainly, before the draft, even, you know, when this stuff came out, was really concerned because I think for all the tools that that he has and, and then Andrew Wynne has, like, if, if there's no desire from the person to play, if it doesn't seem like they want to be there – that's totally fine. It's just I think it, it doesn't bode well for them reaching the pinnacle and being able to leverage the the massive uh, physical and athletic gifts that they have. Um, so I, I'm i definitely glad that the Warriors did not have the opportunity to pick Anthony Edwards. Um, and I, I still think he could be a really, really good player. He's shown some flashes of some playmaking ability, which I think, you know, speaks to ability to see the court a little bit. But I, I'm certainly in the same place with you that I, I think that the, Woo, the, the Timberwolves pick someone who I personally would not have selected with my limited knowledge of him as a player and as a person looking on the outside in.
0: Yeah, and we're finally starting to see some of that promise from Andrew Wiggins that we've heard about for so many years. And it happened when he left the Timberwolves and went to a place where he's playing with multi time champions Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Steve Kerr, where there's going to be more accountability. The fact that Anthony Edwards sure. is in the exact same scenario that Andrew Wiggins just left also speaks volumes to me because Jimmy Butler also bailed on that situation because of ownership. And because of the players around him, you know, and yeah. it's one of the most maligned franchises in recent NBA history. So I'm worried for Anthony Edwards. I wish him the best, but I'm worried.
1: Yeah, I think this is this is something that we should ask Nick to come on and talk about later on. You know, like what makes franchises and organizations successful and, and where might the failings be? Um, you know, is it lying more with the player, or more with the situation? But I, I echo everything you said, you know, wish him the best and I'm a little nervous to see where it goes. Okay, the last uh, the last thing that I liked from this week that I just want to shout out very quickly um, is Jeremy Grant, you know, he bet on himself to leave Denver. Um, I didn't think it made a lot of sense for him to go to the Pistons at a front court that's a little bit crowded, not a lot of talent over there, but he got paid. And I always respect players, you know, who decide that they're going to bet on themselves and and seek out the best possible financial situation for themselves. You know, that's, that's what this is. It's a, it's a business, it's their profession and they want to provide for their families. Um, And I also, I respected him uh, trying to see if he could fill a bigger role on maybe a worse team than Denver. I had very little faith that it was actually going to happen um, because as much as I liked him as a player and thought he had a lot of tools, you know, he didn't show a ton of, you know, first option sort of offensive game and he has shocked me in, in a very positive way. I, to not to brag, but I feel very lucky to have drafted him in one of the, the many fantasy basketball leagues that we're both involved in this year. And he's paying dividends. So just very quickly, shout out to Jeremy Grant for betting on himself and for making that bet worth it because he's looked awesome. And he's, even though the Pistons are bad, you know, had some really solid performances and contributions.
0: Yeah, and there's a great article on the Athletic by James Edwards III talking about the added element of Jeremy Grant's decision, which beyond betting on himself and beyond yeah. seeking out that bigger role, was as a black man in America to empower himself and other black men to go play in uh one of the one of only five black coach GM tandems in the league. So. He's clearly a man of depths and a man of big stat lines. So good for him. But fantastic.
1: Yeah. All right. Now, our last uh, little segment here before we move on to the, the meat of today's discussion is what we've been calling the Minutia Minute. And I had two things that I wanted to mention today super, super briefly. All right, Riley. I'm, first, I'm setting your being... timer. 60 okay, seconds. Okay. The first being ready. just the, the fantastic. Oh, okay. Go. All right, the first just being the fantastic passing highlights we've seen in the last week, whether it was Jokic doing his normal things, LeBron hitting some f- ridiculous outlet passes against the Rockets, or Steph Curry hitting some left court, uh, left-handed across court passes. I just I I love passing, and it's been a joy to see so many great passers doing their thing. Also, shout out to LaMelo Ball. And then finally, I also want to shout out another athletic article written by Eric Name talking about the Bucks' new offense. It was fascinating, and he's one of my favorite NBA writers uh, on the beat because he just does a uh, fantastic job in, in getting depth, getting great quotes, and tying it together in a nice package.
0: Awesome. You you beat your time by – you had 20 seconds left to spare. Uh oh, oh,
1: well then I I could go further, but uh we'll save we'll save that for another day. How yeah.
0: Well, we'll have to talk more about rookies in depth later on. LaMelo Ball being the youngest person to ever record a triple-double. Granted, he did it while being guarded by Trey Young, and I'm not saying that <laughs> I could score a triple-double while being guarded by Trey Young, but I do think I could at least get some buckets up on the guy. That's not true. That's immediately not not true, true. but
1: that's not true. But as
0: far as NBA defenders go, I'd love to see Lamelo do it against someone who's a little bit more of a stout defender. But I may have to. I I, people keep saying he's good at basketball, so I might have to keep thinking that. I might have to begin thinking that he's good at basketball. But anyway, (laughs) after getting getting through some of our early segments, Riley. There is something big yes. hovering over the league today, and that is the league's response, an ongoing response, to a coronavirus outbreak amongst teams.
1: Yeah, uh, before we, we talk about this further, I just want to set this claim of recording this at about 12.30 on Tuesday. Um, and so the, the league's protocols and response has literally been changing as we prepped and, and started recording with um, Woj having a tweet storm as he tried to, you know, keep the league's decisions um, and, and make those public. So we'll do our best to, to react in real time and to try and stay up to date. But we cannot promise that when this episode goes live, hopefully tomorrow, that it will still be relevant. Uh, so just just take that as you will. And hopefully this is still a, an interesting discussion. Uh, to start off, um, do we want to just run through kind of what we go down and, and and what is causing our current situation in the league to, to be as it is? Yeah,
0: Riley, tell us what the hell happened. What the hell happened over these last few days? Sure,
1: sure. Okay, so uh, this started really with you know the decision not to do a bubble, which um, made made a ton of sense. The the mental health strain that that placed and the financial strain that that placed and the logistical strain that that placed on the league and the players was pretty, pretty ridiculous. Um, and so it, it was probably a non-starter, but it certainly meant that the league was opening itself up to the possibility of, you know, this outbreak situation happening. Um, and we saw even within the first week, the Rockets having some people test positive and then contact tracing um, further limit the number of players that they could have on the court. Um, that situation has only gotten worse with the Celtics, the Heat. Uh, I can't remember the third, third, team that's been the Sixers. Yes. Thank you. That's been heavily impacted, even more so than the Rockets now. Um, the last couple, last couple days. And then, uh, even Bradley Beal on um, the Wizards, who haven't had a, a lot of positive or any positive tests, um, still being held out for game due to contact tracing for having a, a very short on-court conversation with Jason Tatum at the end of the, Celtics Wizards game, and so uh, the Sixers have been forced to play with eight players. A lot of um, you know end of the bench guys, G League level talents. With most of their starters being held out, um, there's been multiple postponements, um, mostly of Celtics games and a couple of Heat games in the last couple of days. Also, I think the the Mavericks were impacted. So it's it started as something was isolated, and hopefully the contact tracing was keeping. Tamped down, but we're starting to see it happen. In affect more and more and more teams, and there being some conversations about: Is this really equitable for all the teams to, you know, some teams to get postponements, other teams for it to be play? Um, is this safe? Is this, you know, a, a bad look? Um, while you know, there's still a very deadly disease out there, and it's causing real-world um, ramifications. So, it's it's a very difficult situation. There's been calls for the league to take a pause. They're not doing that at the moment. They are uh, changing the protocols to require masks in even more, uh, more situations to prevent uh, high fives. I think at the free throw line Um, and some other stuff that we can talk about the the effectiveness or lack thereof going forwards, but they're doing their best to kind of hold this situation together. And we'll see if that turns out positively or not.
0: Yeah. And this, those are a lot of great points and, these questions that you mentioned just a, a minute ago and uh, this, the, these calls to the league to do something about it weren't present in the first few weeks of the season, largely because this hadn't happened yet. right? And the policy that the league put in place was one that was very similar to uh, that of the NFL, another professional sports league that is about to finish their season. They're a month away from hopefully finishing their season without any major setbacks. Knock on wood, cross your fingers, do that whole thing, you know? But there's a major difference here between NFL teams and basketball teams. Where in the NFL, you've got a roster size of almost 60 people. And you've got practice squads of another few dozen that your team is practicing against every week. So if five or six guys get hit with COVID, maybe that's a position group like the quarterback situation we saw in Denver uh, a a few weeks ago. But you've got people to replace them. There's There's the next guy up, the next guy up. The roster is huge. But if five or six guys get knocked down in basketball, that that takes you all the way right down to your almost your minimum of 8 players required to play which for early regular season games is not enough unless you're Tom Thibodeau you know but so so the policy was great and worked well for the NFL well you can argue about whether it was great or not but clearly there is more that needs to be done to ensure the success of the NBA season And Woj is tweeting out, like you said, like, no high-fiving when you are uh, at the free-throw line and no talking to players before and after games. And while those are good ideas, ultimately, all the league can really do is ask the players, hey, can you respect our rules and... Not go out into all these places. Clearly, that strategy hasn't worked great so far.
1: Yeah, I think to me the most uh, significant um, change in the policy is that there were there was uh, an allowance of of guests in players' rooms on the road, and I I don't know enough to you know to speculate whether that's how players were catching COVID, but I I think to me that seems like a pretty obviously, and it's something that they've now changed, but I think that was a, a place that, you know, was putting too much trust um, in, in people, especially with the nature of COVID, right? And being able to transmit it even when you're not sick, um, being asymptomatic, right? It, that to me was just kind of uh, an obvious thing that, that needed to change. And so the league is now banning um, players from having guests in, in their rooms on the road. And so I'm hopeful that that might help the problem a little bit. I I question why that was allowed in the first place. I'm assuming it was for players' comfort. You know, like we all have needs for socialization and, and etc. Um, and so I, I understand maybe where it was coming from, but it just felt untenable in in the current uh, atmosphere going on in, in the world. Um, so I I think that we'll see if you know these minor changes are enough to keep everything on track. I I, I want to believe that they will be, but I'm, I'm not confident. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah. And the problem with a lot of these miniature changes that are being uh, put in place is they're all allowing the players and teams to do the stuff that they want to be doing, but they're taking away a lot of little things. And those little things aren't going to affect the league they're not going to affect the fan they're going to affect the players so I question even having the conversation at all of no guests in the room because if there's no guests in the room while traveling then it starts to get in a little bit more of a bubble situation yes that's what it takes to get the league going but we go right back to the question of what sort of toll does that take on the players so I don't know who sits in on the meeting of the board of governors for the league. But I worry some about player representation and whether they're even going to be able to stop high-fiving each other or giving each other hugs, right? Yeah. Like these are, these are things they've been doing for their entire lives on the basketball court. Are, are, are they expected to just stop doing yeah. that right away? To, so like, do- I, I question whether, whether the little, uh, the little things are enough, or even worth it.
1: I yeah, t- t- the little things to me are it's a it almost ends up being a silly conversation. Um, the, apparently the science says that uh, players are not actually within six feet of each other for 15 minutes during the course of a game, which I mean I can sort of understand um, because you know you're not playing 48 minutes, you're you're moving around constantly, and you're not you're not standing still. Um, but it's, it still kind of feels ridiculous that there won't be high-fiving allowed at the free throw line, even though all these guys will be standing literally right next to each other, sweating and breathing and, you know, exhaling all over each other, uh, in the post or, or wherever, right? And so, uh, I tend to think that the, the things that are being changed on court or even the masks requirements on the bench are all, uh, window dressing, you know, it's all, aesthetic yeah. reasons to, to make people feel more comfortable. I don't think that's a, actually going to result in anything. Um, I think it's kind of the, it's unfortunately it's, yeah, like you said, the, the regulation of the player's social lives and personal lives that is going to make the difference whether the league can continue. And that's a really fair point, but, you know, how far should we go and how far um, is it worth it, you know, for these guys to ask them to sacrifice, um, you know, to to play a sport for fun or for our fun yeah more more correctly
0: yeah and and so uh for me uh when, the, when the, with this conversation a few things come to mind you know mm-hmm. uh firstly the league needs to accept that when the players enter the arena and go on to the court it is a covid risk when that happens no matter what, you get rid of the high fives, you add more masks on the bench, whatever. It is going to be a COVID risk because of the amount of time the players spent in close proximity, guarding each other, right? Like, I don't really care what the science says. Uh, Oh, they're not six feet apart. uh, I'm going to disclaimer, I care about science. But I'm not going to care about the specific statistic that says... The players aren't within six feet of each other for more than 15 minutes in the game because running the fast break is a different thing from guarding someone where you're breathing into each other's faces. Transmission is going to be a lot easier there. So if a basketball game is a COVID risk, then the NBA needs to do a better job of making their tests more than a formality. The reason the Sixers got in trouble is because Seth Curry found out that he was positive for COVID while sitting on the bench. Jonas Valanciunas in the Memphis Grizzlies, he found out that he was positive for COVID at halftime. So what's the point of doing all these tests that they're doing if the tests don't come back until it doesn't even matter? And they've already potentially infected the entire arena, right? So what I want to see moving forward from the NBA if I was the sports, to borrow a term from Bill Simmons, Hmm. if I was the sports czar, if I could snap my fingers and demand certain things, I would ask the NBA to immediately move towards a much more conservative approach, both in their overall uh, meta thinking of the league, but also when it comes to teams with known positive cases. You know? Uh, I'm in favor of just take a team and suspend their games for two weeks. The schedule's built for it, right? They didn't schedule the second half of the season to allow for rescheduled games. The Celtics give them 14 days, 10 to 14 days, no games, right? Make that up later because the schedule shouldn't be the highest priority. The money should not be the highest priority. The highest priority should be uh, keeping these athletes safe from a virus that can cause damage to their heart. It can scar their lungs. It can impair their long-term brain function. These are all legitimate things that have happened because of COVID. In serious cases, young, healthy people have died. So they should pause the whole fucking season if they need to, right? give i i for me i want to see the league take the pandemic a little bit more seriously in terms of what their uh, precautions allow go big picture instead of banning high fives after free throws where the dudes are sure. all standing a foot away from each other anyway
1: okay well so then i'm going to i'm going to push back on you then um you, you know you said that you felt it was overkill to like eliminate you know people's having guests in the room and and, uh, you know, that, that that was a step too far. What do you think can be done then to, to to have more serious restrictions without doing that? Because to me, it sort of sounds like you think the only way this works is in a bubble. Um, cause to, to push back on another one of your points, you know, for me, like if you if you delay the, the season for certain teams two weeks, fine, but that does nothing to prevent them from catching COVID down the line. And then at some point, you know, you're just you're delaying everything to the point that they can't. The, a season, um, and so I also think, to some degree, yeah, all all the concerns about the player's health should be first and foremost. Um, I, I'm not aware of any player who's opted out for the season, but I, I I have to assume that that is still like a legitimate possibility. Or at least I would hope that that's an option that they were presented with. Um, and if it's not, then that's a much more serious question, you know. But I think. There is a little bit of at least informed consent. I would hope you know that everyone playing understands that there is a risk and and whatnot.
0: Yeah, and like these guys are being paid to do a job, right? They they are getting paid to do a job. So off off that last point of yours, like when they show up and are, are ready to play, and if they get sick and miss some games, then they're still getting paid. That's that's part of this this contract that they have made as professional workers working in a professional industry. Now, you, I, while you did sort of put words in my mouth when saying that it would only work in a bubble, I will take those words and put them in my okay. mouth. I, I think the only way that the NBA, with rosters of 15 people, can actually do a f- fail-safe season is in a bubble. They did it already. There were zero yeah. positive tests while in the bubble. They played a few months of basketball games, and then they got out of there. Now, that's not feasible for all the reasons that we mentioned again earlier. And so then my question becomes, what is the goal of finishing the NBA season? Is the goal to finish the NBA season and make money?
1: Yes. Because if it is... Yes.
0: Okay. But whose goal is that?
1: That's, that's the goal of the owners who are the ones who own the league. And ostensibly, you know, like they control the commissioner's office who is the one that puts on the sport, right? Like they're the ones that, that host the environment, that host the marketplace of, of labor and, um, you know, and talent and, and create these exhibitions for, for TV revenue, basically. That's how I see the league, right? It's like, the owner that's the owner's goal and so i i I come down on this a little bit that like they're gonna they're gonna go ahead with it either way right and so as much as it's unfair it also we've had a lot of um discussion about you know tv contracts and declining viewership and where the league's gonna make money from and so to me like especially the bubble but but even the season it's a question of You know, if they aren't able to deliver on that contract, does that allow those TV stations to tear up the agreement that that is subsidizing all of this that makes this league possible? Um, and so I think, yes, the motivation is always money. That's what everything is motivated by, right? Um, they can dress it up in the, 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 the ideas of, you know, joy and entertainment and, and competition and whatnot. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a reason that players are paid $40 million. Because those of us, you know, who enjoy this, are willing to spend our money, or, well, maybe illegally stream the games. Um, but we engage, we engage in in the in the social networking. We engage in the advertisement. You know, we we are contributing to the league making money, and so uh, at the end of the day, that's to me, that's what's going to happen, right? And so it's a question of how can they do it with the, the, as much integrity as possible. I just I don't think it's feasible. Because there's a real risk that the sport could be harmed long term, you know, if they if they don't go through with it.
0: Yeah. You you make some really good points. And in the real world I would probably ask for a few minutes to think about all those things and process sure. those things. But me sitting here silently would make for a really horrible podcast. So I'm gonna jump I'm gonna jump back in and, and say like, like you're right. Like, like the league is a business. It comes down to money. The players are making money. The owners are making money. But we're not. But and I am a self-proclaimed idealist, mm. and oftentimes that idealism comes into violent conflict with realism, right? And so I appreciate you bringing me back to a little bit more of that, like that whole reasoning for doing what we're like, why the league is doing what the league is doing. It just brings, it just brings me back to wanting to hear a little bit more about the player's perspective, because for me, like it's a phrase that's been thrown around the internet a few times. And I've really come to believe it over the last several months is that sports is a reward for a functioning society. Mm hmm. Right, we did not develop professional sports until we were in the throes of modern civilization. We were past industrialism. We were past the world war. Or well, actually, I- entering as, into the as world a history wars major though,
1: what, oh, how, what would you say to like Roman amphithe- uh the Colosseum? You know, I feel like that's that's a form of sport that's been around much longer than even modernization and industry.
0: Oh, you're you're absolutely right, and. The gladiators in the Roman Colosseum were a major viewing for a functioning Roman society.
1: Okay, yeah. And the
0: gladiator rings fell off in popularity when Rome started getting sacked every dozen years because the emperors couldn't do anything. And then from then to now, at least in Western civilization, we've had this gap of sports. Now, there's sports that have really cool sports that popped up in Central and Southern America, specifically Central America, that... When the Aztecs were at their peak, then when the Mayans were at their peak, they played a lot of these sports. But all of those civilizations declined, right? And I'm not saying that the United States is declining, and I'm not turning this into a history podcast. <laughs> but in my opinion, my opinion, Nolan Cope, the United States is not functioning at a full level. We have a pandemic that is killing right now about 4,000 Americans a day. It's creeping up. The death toll is creeping up on 1% of the American population before the pandemic hit. And those are all the cases that we know of, right? We just had an armed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last yeah. week
1: where we police officers died
0: too. trying to protect the U.S. Capitol. And it was stormed by people who consider themselves patriots, right? I don't. Uh, we don't have enough time— or crayons to describe the irony to those people of what Hmm. they were saying and acting towards. But going back to basketball, which I'm sure our audience will appreciate. Like, I I think I I love sports. And as long as there is basketball on TV, football on TV, baseball on TV, I'm going to follow it. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to enjoy it. But I don't. I think we went back to sports too soon.
1: Sure. Can I? Can I respond you know, to this? And cause... like, I w-
0: I would have loved to see time, energy, dedication put towards turning these arenas into vaccination centers to get people like healthy, so that we could go back towards playing these beautiful games and these beautiful sports. And I know that that is far too much in the realm of idealism. But what do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I'm glad that you brought up this point because. I was fully on board with kind of your position on this earlier this summer. Um, and I, I still, you know, am sympathetic to some of those ideas, but my, my mind has been changed a little bit on this point um, by actually Sam Asfendiari, who's a, a big guy on Warriors Twitter and hosts the, the light years podcast. Um, and his point about this has been twofold. It's like one, if, you know, if, sports is a reward for functioning society, then we can't think about it as a private business, right? It's got to be up to the government to say, okay, society's not functioning. We are going to ban you from carrying out, the, you know, in the same way that we had lockdown orders and we've had, you know, shutdowns and, and restrictions on what kinds of businesses can be open and what they're allowed to do, right? As much as I, I share your idealism, I'd like to see... The, the country be taken care of first and the, and the pandemic be solved. Um, I, I have started the shift and think, you know, the NBA is a private business and unless they're banned um, by the government, which maybe the government should, right? Like maybe that's, that's a failure of our representatives to, 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 you know, properly protect everyone, even those in the NBA from themselves. But I think until that decision is made by someone outside of the league, I cannot fault the league for going forwards for all the reasons I mentioned previously. And one of Sam's big point is that like, even if it's not the vendors who like sell, sell food in the arenas, there are still massive amounts of people who are paid to support this league, you know, television operators, television producers, writers who, you know, we, we think of as having a really privileged job, but at the same time, that's still their livelihood, you know? And so I think, whether it's ball boys or you know trainers there's all these people who don't make millions of dollars but whose livelihood depends on this industry happening um and then there's also just the, the benefit to everyone like the collective mental health of everyone to have a little bit of escapism and so for me i i i see what you're saying and i i agree to some extent but i i think It's it's asking too much of a private organization, you know, to to take up the responsibility of you know saving the country first or or sacrificing their own interests, Um, because I think that's what it comes down to, right? It's like when the government doesn't act in people's self interest, I I I hold them accountable, but when businesses act in their self interest and aren't thinking about the greater good, I fault the system. You know, we can we can dive into the ideas. Capitalism and socialism and all that at a later date. But I, I, I tend to think, you know, I can't be upset at people who are acting based on the incentives that, that our current society has set up for them. And so this is another situation where I think the NBA is just responding to the incentive, right? They've got to make money. That's what it's all about for them, at least. And so I would love for them, you know, to take, take a moral stand and to set aside basketball, but. Personally, I've been enjoying it. It's been really nice to have that diversion, and you know, I think until they're told otherwise, it's their prerogative, you know, to decide what they do. Now, you brought up a point that I think we could transition to a little bit, which was the player's perspective. And before before we go before we go there, really
0: quickly, I have I have a few quick points that I that I want to say to what you were saying because you were saying some really good things and. Uh, I'll keep them brief before we spiral down into a conversation on uh, the values of capitalism sure, and we'll bring sure. it back to the NBA. But uh, I, uh, you, I really appreciated your point of uh, the NBA being a business, responding to business incentive, which is great. Uh, and I also think it's even better that because this league is going, we are paying the salaries of many different people who, like you said, the writers, the producers, etc., all the way down the line. Now, my my quick responses to that that are what could potentially spiral this conversation dramatically in the wrong direction is I think that it may have been worth it to... like I don't think the NBA should be responsible for those people yeah. s- whose salaries they're paying survival. I think the government of the most powerful country on Earth should be responsible for making sure those people have what it takes to survive, which I think uh, this president and this administration did not do a good job of. And also, I also appreciate the escapism, but I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if the escapism is a good thing. Because if we are presented with the problems that are facing our country and our government over and over and over, and we're sitting there with a bunch of time on our hands... Then really, we have nothing to do but do something about it, which I sure. think could be a potential super, uh, super valuable thing. But I think we should segue back towards the NBA, sure. as as good as good as this conversation is. Maybe we'll start a, a politics podcast yeah, right after uh, this. But to to
1: to make one like literally like one point um, in regards to your last thing, which is tied into the league because of you know the the racial makeup of of everyone who plays we did see some of what you're talking about this summer, right? You know, there's a lot of theories that say the reason that Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, police brutality protests and and whatnot and much greater awareness about the the plight of African Americans and Black people in in the United States, that that reached a fever pitch because, you know, there was no entertainment, there was nothing else going on. And so I I do sort of buy what you're, you're selling there. You know, I just, I still think that, like, the world being completely uh, insufferable is, is, you know, it's unfair to everyone. Um, That's my take on it. But yes, to, to, to segue back, um, you you mentioned the player's perspective and there has been no player who has been as outspoken um, and about advocating for his fellow players, for his uh, agency as an individual, his, agency in broadcasting his own opinions and not having his words uh, misconstrued by his relationship with the media as one Kyrie Irving. And he's been in the news a lot recently um, for, for a number of reasons, most notably because he hasn't played a game in the last week since uh, Wednesday. Um, and maybe it's, this is a good time to, to say that I think we both you know acknowledge how difficult uh, witnessing what happened. Uh, last Wednesday, when people, terrorists, as I would call them, tried to have a coup um, and, and overthrow the duly elected government of the United States of America. Um, I I mean, I, I know I wasn't productive at all the morning that I was happening. And it was, you know, stressful for me as a very privileged individual, to even, you know, to see that and to, to question what was going to happen to our country. And so I, I, I just want to, take a moment to say, you know, I've, I've heard that that was really stressful, even, even more so for people who don't look like the two of us and, and have other kind of questions that they, they face day to day. Um, and so originally that's why I was led to believe, you know, Perry was taking personal time. Turns out that might not be the case. We still don't know and I think it's important too to say that we don't have all the facts about you know, what his deal is. But uh, recently as recently as last night um, people started mentioning that he had been seen at a party turned out to be his sister's 30th birthday party there were tons and tons of people there without masks um, and now it's going to be who knows how long before he's one before he decides to rejoin the team and also two before he's allowed to because of COVID protocols and so yeah. I, I want to use him as a proxy you know to talk about this idea of the player's perspective and and you know, taking time for personal matters and and mental health, and also still what their responsibility is as as celebrities and as people with a great deal of wealth um and also you know a great deal of influence in the country. So do you have totally. any thoughts to that
0: yeah i i think I think that the way we're gonna discuss Kyrie Irving here uh is to meet a bigger purpose, serve a bigger purpose, I'd say. And so I, I know that you and I are both of one mind before we say this, that the last week with Kyrie Irving and the news surrounding him and his relationship with his team and his contract has been so odd and unique. And we, like you said, we still don't know much. So both like both of us, I know we're of one mind when I say we just hope the guy is okay yeah. Like we don't know what number sort one. of number personal one. crisis is happening in his life right now, or if it is a personal crisis. So our number one desire for Mr. Irving is that he is okay, that he is healthy, uh, both mentally and physically, and that whatever critiques that, uh, come his way after, uh, I, I sort of end this little tirade should all be taken with the understanding that, uh, this is an incomplete story until we hear his side of the story. And there has been no story given yet, but his example is a good one for the conversation at hand.
1: Yeah. And so the way the place that I come down with Kyrie is that it's just, that's also a general frustration that I have with online discourse um, and maybe even discourse in general. It could be that I'm biased because of the construction of Twitter and how that, you know, limited character makes it harder to have nuance. But I think that's this has been such a stark kind of example of that. Um, people just not being able to accept that two things can be true at once. And for me, those two things are, are what you said about Kyrie. You know, like, I have zero issues with him, you know, taking uh, time off because he's, you know, got personal things going on. And I actually, I applaud him for it. I think more players should do that. Uh, we saw with, like uh, you know, Montrezl Harrell having some difficulty in the bubble last time. Um, a lot of people talking about how difficult that was. I think this country needs a much better discussion around mental health. And I think, you know, them being open, kind of Love talking about this and uh, players, you know, taking care of themselves is a really, really good thing. And so I think that's true. And I, I believe that full heartedly. And I also think it's true that we should criticize him for him being at a party and being photographed there and, and potentially putting both uh, all the other people like in the league, the league as a whole, you know, this entire industry and his team, especially at, at risk. Um, but beyond that, even it's just, it's not safe behavior in this pandemic like we talked about. And so I think he's getting rightfully criticized, at least on that angle of uh, having behavior that's not, Coming of someone of his stature, and I tend to think he's a pretty intelligent guy too. You know, so I think it wasn't a great look for him, and I was I was disappointed. But that's at least what he chose to do at the time. That I think he rightfully took off.
0: Yeah, um, you you make you make a, a ton of really good points, and I want to tie it all back to. Uh something that I began uh, mentioning earlier where uh, there and sort of put a caveat on what I was saying earlier. Earlier, I said there was no way this league could work unless we're in a bubble, but that's not true. The only other way that this league could work is if all the players get on board with, hey, we are getting paid this money. We have a contract Let's meet the league protocols to the best of our ability so that we do not, like you said, so they do not put their teammates, coaches, trainers, family at risk, right? It's hard to adjust your lifestyle in COVID-19. And if these guys enjoy going out to clubs, bars, strip clubs, parties, it's hard to adjust to not doing that. That being said, we need a little bit of accountability. And there will be some random cases where you get exposed to your mom, or your sister, or your significant other, you know, who may may have it. That's just the nature of this disease. But we do need that accountability and that responsibility of players not going overboard and putting themselves in high risk situations, like Kyrie was seen doing in a video last night.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I fully understand how hard this is. You know, I've been. In conflict a little bit with my parents a couple times because there were some things that i you know felt were reasonable risks um and that were not you know uh irresponsible but for them and the the bubble with my grandma at home you know it just was a non-starter um and so that was that was tough but at the same time you know i've been invited to parties that i haven't gone to um during the pandemic because as much as i wanted to you know like i felt i felt uncomfortable and i also felt that it was my duty to society at large, right? You know, to to do what was being asked of me. Um and so that's where I think there is a lot of frustration out there, you know, that there's there's a lot of burden that comes with the, the position that these guys are in and, and whether ask and, and fandom and celebrity and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, all the rest of us, or at least those of us who are acting you know, in the best interest of, of the country and, and the health of everyone around us, we're making sacrifices. And so it's just frustrating to see players, especially ones that don't have a great track record um, of, of always doing or saying the right thing. Um, I'm thinking of maybe James Harden, you know, as another example, right, of, of him being at strip clubs in the middle of a pandemic. It just it's hard to hard to swallow for me.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, you 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 make a lot of great points. You said said a lot of important things, and it is it is a hard to swallow reality. Now, that doesn't mean people are going to stop trying to fix these sort of things. And one solution that I know has been offered by some pundits on NBA Twitter, in particular, and may and a few actual bigger media outlets, but not some of the ones that I respect a little bit more than others, is that. All of this can be avoided if the NBA players jump the line, get the vaccines, and are therefore immune and able to finish out the season. Riley, what are your thoughts on, on that solution?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I got into a number of actual Twitter debates about this the other day, and the, the main question seems to be, like, one, is it a good idea? And two, would it be a good idea for the league to do? Um, to start with, I'm going to set aside the first one because I think the second one, there were people arguing that you know like there wouldn't be blowback, and I just I think that's naive. You know, I think um, with the politicization of of the league, um, you know, it's been partly their choice, right to 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 try and address their players' concerns and support their players, and we saw that in the bubble with you know a lot of uh, endorsement of social justice messaging and, and you know players leveraging their platform right to, to get that message across. Um, and so I think that unfortunately has, has meant that the, the strongest critics out there of the league would just have a field day, you know, if the league decided to jump the line, quote unquote, and, and secure 5,000, uh, a thousand vaccine, sorry, 500, a thousand vaccines or whatever it takes, you know, to make sure that everyone in the league is safe. Um, so I, I tend to think even if, in in the grand scope of things you know 500 vaccines is nothing right like it it's they're producing thousands of them every second is what i've heard um but i i just think from a politi- uh, public relations standpoint it's almost a non-starter which is unfortunate because to to address the the first part i think it would make a lot of sense and to kind of go along with my my sort of business interests point from earlier i think it's a it's more in the government if there aren't enough vaccines or there aren't being distributed and if somehow just like the testing in the bubble, right? The league was able to secure enough testing for themselves and, uh, it started out being like a kind of bad luck, but the, the reality was, you know, they're going to do what's right for themselves. And if the, the broad, you know, benefits of people getting enjoyment from this, and also from just having 500 more vaccinated individuals who are, who are traveling across the country who have a lot of connections, I tend to think that if they were to get vaccinated, it might, it might in the broad scope of things, be a plus.
0: Yeah. And so I think with the bubble and with uh, that thought that you just said of maybe the league taking initiative on this wouldn't be such a bad thing. Like, I think there is, I, I think I it would not be reached for me to say at all that I trust Adam Silver to do a better job at responding to this pandemic than our current administration and government in Washington, D.C. That being said, I was shocked that this was actually ever like a conversation that began to gain any traction because the CDC has very clearly laid out the people who need to be getting this vaccination first. It's first responders and it's the elderly and at risk individuals, right? And I don't think there should be a single vaccine given out to a person in this country until every single person who is willing to get a vaccine in those first responder at-risk populations get one. And NBA players are some of the most physically fit people in our country. They are in the .001%. They should be, as much as it would make the business interests of the league go a lot better... They should be at the bottom, yeah, of the line for getting vaccinations, and the people who uh, matter a lot more, like they are a business, but the people who matter a lot more to the country functioning and the people who are at the highest risk to this disease need to be getting those. Are they getting them right now? No. does that make it an easier uh doesn't that make it easier to argue that the league has a little bit more of a right to do these things? Yes, should it be that way? No, and I'm hoping that starting January 21st, our country does a big 180 and starts actually getting this vaccine out at a reasonable clip.
1: Sure, um, I think for me, this kind of draws interesting parallels to uh, when a bunch of representatives who had been, you know, downplaying the vaccine or or not supporting, sorry, downplaying the the coronavirus, you know, are not um, supporting like strict lockdown measures and stuff. Um, they ended up, you know, getting the vaccine and, and posting about it very publicly on social media. Um, and that created a lot of interesting, like kind of emotions. And my, my one takeaway from that was, I was curious if if the, like the press, you know, of these people who might have a lot of followers and and, uh, supporters who are anti-vax or at least, you know, didn't take it seriously enough and and weren't as concerned as they probably should be. I I can't answer this, but I think it's an interesting question about does them, you know, endorsing the vaccine and and like, I think uh, Marco Rubio was one of these people, right? Like, does the benefit of him at least showing the people who trust him and, and support him that he is willing to take the vaccine um, and, and he believes in it like does the, the benefit of that message getting out there outweigh the the it's not irony um the sacrilegiousness i guess you know of somebody who who was contributing to making the situation worse being protected from it early and so I think we can draw the same question to um to the players you know i I don't have an answer to this but I think it's an interesting thought about you know does them all getting the vaccine and like showing that it's safe and uh, showing that it works and and whatnot would that convince people who might be more skeptical um, I, I can't speak on this but I, I know that there is a, a certain distrust of, of the medical profession um, among the African-american community because a lot of you know bias in the way that medicine is is dealt out and you know not listening to uh, the in, black people in this country when they, they talk about their symptoms or talk about what they think is wrong and um, that that's a whole other conversation. But I, I'm wondering and I'm curious if you have thoughts, you know, might there be some some net public benefit to these very famous people uh endorsing and, and spreading the message of, you know, get vaccinated and, and how important this is. I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's that that's a very interesting point and uh they're absolutely would be a net positive, you know, like like or I I I don't know if like were it would be a necessarily a straight net positive, yeah. yeah. But I think it would definitely be a a positive thing to have these Republican lawmakers and these high-profile celebrity athletes uh have make the decision to receive the vaccine, you know. So, uh, I think it all relies. I think it all goes back to the federal government having a good plan for rolling out this vaccine out. And like yeah. you said, if they are creating vaccines thousands by the second, you know, then there needs to be a schedule that not only gets them to the people who need them, but the people who want them and then having this rollout of then, okay, now this group is eligible. Now this group is eligible. So maybe by playoffs in the NBA schedule, the players are eligible, you know, yeah. the players can, can, can get these things and, now I, I will stand by. I really don't think that they should be getting them over. Yeah, like, no, the, I, the I first agree responders. With you, but I don't. I don't know how many people out there are making that argument. But I, it, it's interesting. Yeah, I think I think there could be there could be that positive angle there that I hadn't been thinking of before. Sure.
1: Cool. Well, we could keep on this subject all day. We could spiral into a conversation about uh, the best you know, economic and and governmental structure for the United States of America. Unfortunately, I think we're sort of out of time and I'm sure that our listeners are starting to have ears bleed just a tiny bit. So this is probably a great place for us to leave this conversation. Nolan, do you have any last thoughts before we wrap this all up for good?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I had a lot of fun recording today and I hope you listeners out there had a ton of fun listening. So, we are a new podcast, this will only be our fourth released episode, and I'm making a request to each one of you listening to this podcast. Number one, if you haven't already, please press the subscribe button to get that notification whenever your next podcast is released, but also, please, if each one of you listening suggests this podcast to one person who you think might like it, then uh, I think we really have a chance to get these conversations out to a lot more people. So my request for you is hit that subscribe button and please recommend this podcast to just one person who you think might like it. Send them the link, send them the name, tell them that it's, uh, it's, it's your friends or your internet friends who are looking for a little bit more support.
1: Yeah, and if if well, we'll go even further, if if you're willing to do that, you know, and if you are successful at least in getting someone else to listen, hit us up on Twitter uh, at hockey underscore assist, and we will shout you out either online or maybe even in the next episode, because we really do truly appreciate all your support. All right, wonderful. Uh, I think that's it from my end too. Um, hopefully, we will be back next week with a topic that's a little bit more lighthearted and fun because things have gotten better out in the world, but no promises out there. Uh, So, without further ado, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been The Hockey Assist. You can look for new episodes dropping each Wednesday morning, and you can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have feedback or you were able to to recommend us positively to someone, don't hesitate to reach out either by leaving a comment uh, underneath um, the podcast on, on your preferred player or hitting us up at twitter again at hockey underscore assist or you can find me at bad luck riley 12 we hope you enjoyed the show and we cannot wait to bring you more so for nolan cope i am riley gauchet checking out of episode four thanks for joining us have a wonderful day